0: Good morning. We're going to be going through uh, Hebrews again, uh, beginning at uh, in chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. But before we do that, uh, I want to thank Greg for giving me this opportunity to be able to, to share with you this morning. A little background, because we haven't been in Hebrews for a few weeks. Um, Paul is obviously speaking to the Hebrews here, and so that's the context we're looking at. it. Whenever he's speaking to the, these Hebrew folks, that have been saved, he's now seeking to bring them, to bring them back from the place they've gone. They're going back to the place where their old religious roots. And I've titled this message today, Chasing Shadows, because that's basically, I believe what he's portraying, that they're chasing shadows, they're going back, trying to go back to the works mentality, to the religion that they had before, trying to, in some ways, walk away from the relationship. Now, I believe that man's greatest problem is sin. And that also creates his greatest need. Some people think that we're sinners because we sin. But the simple fact is, the truth is, we sin because we're sinners, not the other way around. But God has provided a new and living way, a remedy for that need. And that's what he's going to speak to us again through these verses. So beginning at verse 1. For since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Nate. Would you take a look at that picture? Uh, I moved here and from Hawaii in April, and that that was basically about a block from my house. Okay, uh, so God brought me here, and I'm glad He did. But it <laughs> uh, being that close to the to the beach, i want you to imagine if I was sitting in front of my computer with that picture, because that's the actual picture that I took, and I could put my tennis shoes on the ones that I wore to the beach. I'd have sand in them. I could put some suntan lotion on and maybe a spray bottle and spray my face and I could sit back in front of my computer and pretend that I'm right there sitting down by the ocean. Okay. Uh, besides being a little bit weird, it wouldn't be right because all that is is a two-dimensional picture. It's a, an exact picture of what it is, but it's only two-dimensional. It's not the real thing. I believe what Paul through the Holy Spirit is speaking to us here, is saying what they were going back to was just a shadow. Because what they did in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices, they were all pointing forward to Jesus. Now, if you're out in the middle of the day and the sun is bright, somebody's walking towards you and the sun is behind them, you're going to see their shadow in front. Well that's exactly what happened with Jesus because history is his story. And as he was as we approach the day of his incarnation him taking a bodily form being born so that he could die for us that shadow was going forward and all everything that we see is pointing directly to him. If you remember back in Luke chapter 24 whenever the two Disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus came and talked to them. Their statement was, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. So everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. I challenge you and encourage you, when you're, if you read in the Old Testament, ask the Lord to show you Jesus as you're reading, because okay? he's there. He's in every page. Okay. Again, but a shadow instead of the true form of those realities, because they could never take away sins; Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to do it from year to year. They did it daily, but every year, the high priest went in and offered sacrifices for the entire nation. There's an old saying, some of you might remember it, do the crime, do the time. Uh, Well, without Jesus, that applies to you. But with Jesus, it's different. Now, even if you commit a crime, you can be pardoned. Or you can have someone commute your sentence. But guess what? You still committed the crime. You're still, in the eyes of the law, a felon. But if you go to court and they say not guilty, it's gone. That's what Jesus did for us. He declared a not guilty verdict for each and every one of us. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now You probably all know that. If you go north, eventually you're going to go south. But if you go east, you're never going to wind up coming west. They're separated so completely from each other that they will never touch our sins and us. In Micah chapter 7 verse 19 it says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Just an encouragement, because when he does that, I believe he also puts a sign that says, no fishing. Okay. How often have you gone back and let yourself beat up, be beat up over something that occurred? Okay. Beat up over, oh, it just breaks your heart, the things that you did, especially when you realize you sinned against the Lord. But there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is... Don't come near me. Okay? The enemy wanting you to feel like you can't approach God because of what you did. Um, excuse me, condemnation. I got that wrong. <laughs> totally got it wrong, sorry. Condemnation is making you feel like you can't approach God. Conviction is God saying, yeah, you, you blew it. You made a mistake. And then him putting his arm around you and saying, don't worry, next time we'll do better. There's such a difference between condemnation and conviction. What these sacrifices that he's talking about, is we pick up in verse 3, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They reminded them every year of what was going on. Why do they have to do that? Well, if you ever had a promissory note, what we used to call IOUs, if I give you an IOU that says, I know I owe you $100, okay, and a year from now you say, well, you still owe it. Well, let me write you another IOU. Okay, I keep doing that, and that note has no value, but it's still declaring, I know that I owe this to you. That's what those sacrifices accomplished, and that is all they accomplished in the Old Testament. It was the Israelites, the Hebrews' way of saying, I know I've sinned against God. I know that. But it couldn't take away the guilt. It couldn't ease their conscience. All it could do is cover the sins. But that changed with the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 5, excuse me, verse 5, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin, offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me. The Lord is saying, I know my father didn't have any pleasure in these things. But behold, I have come. And the scroll of the book, when he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Again, the Old Testament. Behold, I have come to, your, to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. Back in the Old Testament, when Abraham took Isaac, he was told, Sacrifice him. They put the wood up, they got everything prepared. And Isaac, Isaac's question was, Father, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham said in Hebrews 22, 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What we're seeing here is Jesus declaring, you don't have to provide the sacrifice anymore. They had to bring their own sacrifice. They had to bring a goat, a bull, a sheep, a sheep. They had to bring their own sacrifice. God is saying to the Holy Spirit here, you don't have to bring your own sacrifice anymore because I have now provided a sacrifice that takes away sins forever. That sacrifice is Jesus. There's a reason why I asked Nate to put that video up because the words, how can it be? How can it be that we can be forgiven? Without the Lord, you realize wow, Okay, I can't, every day I don't do the things I want to and find myself doing the things that I don't want to. Okay. I can't accomplish what I want, but I find myself doing what I don't want. That's us without the Holy Spirit. That's us in that Old Testament form. But he said, I have come to abolish the first in order to establish the second. It's all about Jesus here, and he's declaring, I have come, I have come. You're no longer in the place where you have to perform works. We don't have to jump through hoops, folks, because it's in a relationship. My kids, they made errors in judgment. Okay. Uh, they screwed up at times. Okay, um, Never changed the fact that they were my kids. Okay, Couldn't change the fact that I loved them. Same with us. God says you don't have to go through all these different gyrations what you have to do is accept the fact that Jesus died for you. In Romans 8:1 it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's us. I hope you believe that because that's us. Next time the enemy wants to make you make you feel like you're not even worthy to pray or like how can I pray right now after what I just did or after those thoughts that I had? Believe that's not the Lord. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you see that? The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. All these sacrifices, all our works can't accomplish anything. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God isn't winking at our sin. He's not saying, "It's it's not that you haven't sinned against me. But he's saying, I have given you a way for your sins to be forgiven, forgotten and not held against you. Again, back to Hebrews 10, verse 10. And by by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sanctified, that means made holy, made usable, to put to the proper intended use. That's what the Lord did for us. He allowed us to be now put back in that intended use put back in that place where we can be what all that we're meant to be. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on all these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Because everything that we do as far as works, everything that was accomplished and what they tried to accomplish in the Old Testament can be narrowed down to these two things. Do you love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul? And do you love your neighbors? Do you love your brothers and sisters that way? That's freedom. That's the freedom we have. That's what Paul is trying to share with them in Hebrews. Don't go back to the chasing of shadows. Don't go back to trying to think I have to do this to earn God's love. If I'm not doing this, God's going to be angry at me. He's not going to hear my prayers or he's going to be upset with me. We grieve him, yes, but he can't, it's not possible for him to love us less. Verse 11. Every priest stands at his daily, daily at a service, offering repeatedly in the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. When the priest, he had to go in and stand because there were no chairs in the sanctuary, which can never take away sins. But when Christ was, has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For his feet. That's a reference back to Psalms 110, Verse 1. There are no chairs in the tabernacle because the priest's work was never done. They continually offered sacrifices because they couldn't accomplish the taking away of the sins. All it could do is cover the sins. But Jesus, when he did this, it says he sat down at the right hand of his father. That's awesome, folks. Remember in... John 19 as Jesus hung on the cross what was he what did he say it is finished it is finished we have the victory it's complete it's done that's why he can sit down in heaven and the awesome part about it is now we can go sit at his feet you remember the story of Mary and Martha Martha was out doing everything and Jesus said Mary picked the better because she sat at his feet and worshipped him. We have that opportunity now because of what he's done for us. Verse 14, by a single offering is perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Please understand this. You're not forgiven because you're sorry for your sins. It's not that Jesus just took pity on us and decided to forgive us. The only way he could forgive us is if he died on the cross to pay that price for us. You realize how important that is. He loved you and me enough to say, I know there's only one way and I'm going to accomplish it because I want them with me. That one offering changes everything forever. That one offering of him on the cross. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. What he's saying is here, we're forgiven and valued. He accomplished these things because we are his people. That's a promise he made. You will be my people and I will be your God. Again, we have to understand it's not about us. It's not about us chasing those shadows. It's about what Jesus did. Verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. No more need for works because Jesus has restored that relationship between us and him and us and the Father. Restored that relationship. Matthew one twenty one tells us, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Please understand, in that verse, it doesn't say he will save his people in their sins. It says he will save his people from their sins. You know what that means? It means sin shouldn't and doesn't have any hold on us anymore. We don't have to do those things. We don't want to anymore. Jesus said, in me you have the power to be victorious. In me you have the power to have victory over those. That's what he did for us. Again, no longer any offering for sin because he accomplished it. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... Those holy places in the Old Testament was the temple, the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. You know where the holy places are for us right now? Sorry. Right here in our hearts. That's the holy place. In the spiritual realm, you can only fellowship with God there in your heart. Because Jesus restored us to who we were created to be. You don't fellowship through rituals, choirs, candles, religious vestments, ornate buildings. You don't worship him really in those things. You worship him and fellowship with him in a heart that's been healed. That's what he accomplished for us. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. If You remember the curtain that was rent, that was torn at the moment that Jesus died on the cross. Now that curtain isn't one like you probably got at home. Okay? This curtain was probably so thick that no person could literally rip it themselves. It was thick, it was heavy, you couldn't get, you couldn't be able to do it. But it was torn when the, the moment that Jesus died on the cross. But it was torn from the top to the bottom. Because God tore it, because he said, No longer is there that separation between you and me. Now you can enter into that holy place and have that fellowship with me. A new and living way. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Back in chapter three of Hebrews, verse six, the Lord said, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house. You realize that when it says we have a great priest over the house of God, we are the house of God. We are the house of God. See, there's a great truth here. Christianity isn't our feeble effort on our part to imitate the Lord. Christianity is Jesus Christ taking up residence in his house, living in us. It's not It's Jesus in us now. That's the great truth. Jesus in us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have a concept of what kind of a truth that is. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because he is in our hearts. He says he can accomplish those things and he will accomplish those things for us. Verse 22 in Hebrews, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith that our hearts sprinkle clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Okay, again. Sometimes I have trouble sleeping. Okay, I don't always have a, a real restful night's sleep. But it's not because I'm laying there with a guilty conscience. Okay? It's not because I'm laying there worried about that day I was telling somebody a lie and it's like, oh, you know what? I gotta remember I said that because next time I talk to them, okay, uh, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to blow it by, you know, not remembering the lie I told him. Okay. You don't have to have that kind of thing hanging over your head anymore because the Lord says, We're sprinkled with with clean water, our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And he tells us, draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith. Draw near. Draw near means continually walk in the presence of God. I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of you feel like you really do that day to day? It may be what your heart wants, what you know you need, but how many of us really, truly walk continually, moment to moment, every day with the Lord? We're capable of it because he says he draws us near. Understand, we're not drawn near the Lord because we come to church. We're no nearer to him here than we are at work or when we're at play. Unless, by faith, we live in recognition of the fact that he is in our heart. If we come here with the idea that we're going to meet with other believers and we're going to be meeting with the Lord here today, then, yeah, we'll meet with them but it's not the building. It's our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who's promised is faithful. Paul didn't tell him, hold on to your salvation. He said, hold on to your confession of hope. Hold on to that confession of hope and your trust in the Lord. Because he is faithful even when we aren't. Because he who's promised is faithful. Final two verses. These are two of my favorite. Uh, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. not Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The story I heard once of this father who, who after service they were walking around the church and he was they came up to this plaque that had military members you know information on it and as the child said daddy what's that plaque and he said oh son those are all the people who died in service in the service and he had this weird look on his face and looked up at him and says oh daddy I thought all those people that were were just sleeping in church this morning you know what, is that so different than it can be sometimes? We have to get past the idea that church is just a place for relaxation. Okay? Yeah, it's a place to come and be safe. But sometimes we don't want to enter into the messy things. We don't want to enter into the, the realizing that, People hurt, they need help, they can be sick, they need to be loved. Those things can get chaotic and they can be messy. But that's what God has called us to be doing. We don't primarily meet together so that we can come and get. That's what this verse is saying. We come together so that we can give. We can contribute, we can give out. Greg can attest to this. Our belief here is something that he has tried to instill in all the elders and and belief people in ministry. It's up, in, and out. That's what it should be. I challenge you, when you come on a Sunday morning, do you come with the anticipation that you're going to be able to have a chance to talk to somebody who maybe encourage them? You come with the idea that you can come and, and maybe there's somebody hurting, maybe there's somebody that's sad, maybe there's somebody that's sick, but you can enter into a relationship with them. As far as coming together, you know what's awesome about this? Some of you I don't ever see except on Sunday mornings. It would be awesome if I could have a relationship with each and one of you where I could meet you during the week, because even with the elders, I try and do that, and with, because of schedules, we can't always do it. But we can come together corporately, and we can come together, and we can come with the idea that we, we are here to minister to one another, to love on one another, and to hear from the Lord and let him love on us. John 13, 34 tells us, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Finally, in verse 24 there of Hebrews, it says, Encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look around, folks. Listen to the news read the newspaper the day is drawing near the day is getting closer to the Lord's return and as we see that we realize that that means that none of us are excluded from that your brothers and sisters have trials, tribulations your brothers and sisters have needs it's as much as you do when you see that you see, the world's running away from God, running toward hell and destruction, but we should be making a difference. It should motivate us to make a difference. I'm quickly gonna give you this. There's a story of a, of a scientist who actually pushed the button to de- detonate the first A-bomb on the Bikini Atoll before world War, during World War II. It was their first test. Years later, he was talking to a group of scientists and he decided to give his testimony. When he got up to share, he told them, I am more nervous to, with talking to you today than I was that day when we, I pushed that button for the first A-bomb to be set off. We didn't know what was gonna happen with that bomb. We knew it had tremendous force and ability to, to destroy, to take lives, but I'm more nervous today talking to you. And he said, it's not because I don't like talking in front of people. It's because I realize I have a message that has more power than it, that Atomic bomb ever had I have a message that has more ability to change lives to heal people to set people free to get people saved That's more power than anything that man can ever create that was his heart do you come with the idea that wow I get to meet with God this morning and if there's a brother or sister who's in need I get the privilege of being able to pray with them. I'm going to challenge you. When you come, look somebody square in the eye and give them your attention and ask them, how are you doing? How was your week? Is there anything I can pray for you about? You may not get a total response that first time, but if the next time you see them, do it again. when I say look them in the eye because you let them know that you're legitimately wanting to know. You're not just going through the motions. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Yeah, okay. Great, walk off. You actually show them that you have an interest in what's going on in their lives and their hearts. That's what we're called to do. Stir up one another to good works, encouraging one another. Genuine love. I'd encourage you Try it, it works. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just speaking to us so we don't have to chase shadows because you have done all that there is to do for us to be saved, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to have that relationship with you, for us to know that you are living in our hearts that we can boldly come to your throne room with our needs, with our praise, our worship. In other words, Lord, we know that you've done it all. And we get to enjoy it. We get to be blessed by it. And we get a taste of it here, just as the Old Testament was a shadow. What we have here is but a taste of what we will have when we get to be with you in heaven. We are looking forward to that day. As, again, as the word says, that, that day draws near. Every day we're a day closer to your return. Help us to be used by you. Help us to love on one another. And help us to remember you. That you dwell in us and live as though we believe that every moment of every day. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.